industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, before I get to the main thing today, there's something that I got to talk about. Uh, and and I'll, this is, uh, I don't usually do this because it, it kind of cross, crosses over. Hold on a second. My, uh, my headphones were caught on something. Oh, and I almost knocked a glass of water across the entire service here. Okay, uh, I'm settled. Um, I don't usually do this because uh, it, it kind of crosses into... Mark's Mark LaCour's territory, Mark and Page and the Old and Guest this week's show, where Mark, uh, you know, looks at things that are in the news about the industry in general, and he gives all of his uh, excellent insights and uh, guidance about those things. So I, I usually refrain from that um, because this is the tech show, but but in this case, I'm going to make an exception. And, I, and in fact, there is a technology component of of this thing here. And, and the, the thing that's in the news is, um, this, this thing where, uh, here in, in the U S of A America, our fearless leader, uh, is going to help reduce fuel prices at the pump by allowing the sale of a higher ethanol blend, uh, particularly during the summer, which is, um, which would be unusual. So, and I, and I feel like I need to break this down because, and, and by the way, um, you know, I'm only, I, I am, um, I'm going to say that I am only have, have, have a moderate amount of expertise in these things uh, compared to a lot of other people that I know. But for those of you who have uh, a less moderate <laughs> level of expertise, or maybe, or maybe you just, you know, maybe you're just not really thinking about it, but, but think about this. Um, so first of all, selling you know one what the reason why we don't they don't allow higher ethanol blends and and some of you may not know this but when you buy you know uh, here in the United States where you buy gasoline at the pump uh, typically it's blended with 10% ethanol ethanol comes from corn um, there's a whole there's a whole raging debate on whether that's a good idea or not and whether it's good on for your engine and is it in fact good for the uh, for the environment but anyway that's what happens so you got 10 10% corn juice in your fuel, unless here in Texas, you can go to uh, a number of the larger Bucky's and uh, it'll cost you. It co- there's, there's definitely a higher price, but you can get ethanol free uh, fuel. You, the thing is you'd have to run it in your car for a long time uh, to see the benefit. But anyway, like just, just splurging on the ethanol free fuel, just, you know, once in a while probably isn't going to help you. But, um, uh, and, and, but you can, you can blend gasoline up to 15% ethanol uh, without, you know, people's cars throwing up on the, on the, on the street. And so, uh, but, you, but they don't do it, uh, particularly during the summer because, um, it, it turns out it creates more, more smog. It creates more smog than the evil, uh, petroleum based fuel. So nonetheless, they are going to do it for the summer. And, um, and here's the logic. This is how it's going to help save people, um, you know, at the, at, at the pump. 
this summer. And um, and in fact, uh, the administration estimates it's going to save it's going to save drivers an average of ten cents per gallon. Now it doesn't. And by the way, I'm looking at an article. I mean, this has been all over the news. I happen to be looking at one from ABC News that came out. I don't know. It was yesterday or the day before. Um, it's going to save drivers ten cents a gallon. Now I, it doesn't say which drivers, <laughs> but. But somebody's going to save 10 cents a gallon because the first thing that you have to take note is that there's only 2,300 gas stations in the U.S. that can that are equipped to sell E15, uh, the ethanol, the 15% blend. Now, um, now the way this article is written, it doesn't say only 2,300. That was I, had, I editorialized that um, because if you don't say only 2,300, then 2,300 sounds like a pretty good number. Uh, but for those of you uh, faithful listeners of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, which, by the way, welcome to the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network, which is, uh, as, of, uh, as you know, as you've heard me say many, many times, the largest and the most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry. And today's episode, I'm happy to say... Uh, let me make sure I get this right. Actually, yes. Today, today's episode is uh, is sponsored again by our good friends over there at Technip FMC, and uh, uh, and so you've heard me you've heard me talk about them on the show before, and uh, and of course you've heard of Technip FMC. You've heard, you know it used to be there was a company FMC, and and there was Technip, but there was FMC Kongsberg. Anyway, there's been a number of different mergers and things, and 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 coming together and goings apart. And but what we have now is this fantastic company, Technip FMC, and you probably know them uh, as the offshore deep water supplier of things like wellheads and, and trees and, and uh, blowout preventers and what have you. But what maybe you don't know is, and, and Tony Banzer, if you're listening to this, I know you're a faithful listener, so I hope I get this right. If I don't get this right, then you need to come on the show next time and, and do it better because you tell it great. But the point is that they, uh, it's not just, they're on, they're on land now. These people, they're amphibious. They, they go in the water, they go on the land, and they're doing some fantastic things in the unconventionals and uh, particularly out in the Permian. And, and, uh, and, and more importantly... It's not just about ordering the parts out of the catalog, but they've got these whole integrated, like end-to-end ecosystems. And I'm talking about like in a on a frack pad. I'm talking about everything from the from the wellhead out to the supply line. It's integrated. It's less equipment. So we're talking about. Less trucks on the fewer fewer trucks on the road, which we know they love out there in West Texas. We listen. There's a little too much traffic on the highways, and uh, it's le- it's it's less equipment. It's cleaner. It's safer. It's all digitally enabled. So um, I don't know if this is true, Tony. You're gonna have to correct me, but I, I think you can work it from your sofa on your iPad, but the, but the analytics are built in to the sensors. It's, it's a whole digital ecosystem. Anyway, check it out. Um, and, uh, have a look at what Technip FMC is doing, uh, at their website, which as it turns out is called technipfmc.com. So you can learn all about it there. All right. Where was I? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. So those of you, 2,300 gas stations sounds like a lot, but those of you who have been listening, uh, you know, I think it was just a couple of months ago I did, uh, you, you remember the episode, uh, where we, where I, I talked about the history, the history of, cause I love history, the history of 
gas stations or filling stations or petrol stations or whatever, whatever it is in your language, the history here in the United States. And if you listened to that, um, then you would know that even by the 1960s, there was already 10 times as many uh, stations, gas stations in the United States as what they're saying here is going to somehow make a difference. It's going to save drivers, unspecified drivers, an average of 10 cents per gallon. 2,300 stations is not even a drop in the bucket, folks. It's like it's like a drop inside the drop in the bucket. So, so that's the first part of the logic that kind of escapes me. And and uh, by the way, you won't you won't get that <laughs> from this article. The second thing is okay. So, you know, I, I wasn't really like an economics student. I'm not, I'm not an economist. Um, I did take an economics class and I vaguely understood what was happening, but we did learn about supply and demand and prices go up, you know, when, when supply, when demand outpaces supply, if there's pressure on, on supply, if there's a supply shortage, of course, prices go up. We all saw it happen with the toilet paper and, uh, and vice versa, if, if vice versa. So, so you've got a situation where you've got a commodity that's, that's, that's critical to everything and it's too expensive. So, um, so it seems like the best way, if, so, if, so if you're the government and you want to get in there and, and turn the dials like governments like to do, right? They like to kind of get in there and, and, like, and, and turn the dials to try to fix the problems. And so you're turning the dials. So which dial are you going to turn? Um, you know, the, to me, it seems like it's the one that says, well, let's create more supply so that the price, the price will be better and the price will come in line. Uh, which of course we, we all know how you can do that, right? I mean, we know, we know that the, that the U S um, that the U S uh, oil production is holding back right now. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why they are. I mean, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just because of the government or what have you. It's uh, you know, they, <laughs> there's a new sense of fiscal discipline. That's, that's for one thing. Um, and uh, I mean, I think we've learned some lessons. So, however, um, we could certainly supply it. We could, we could produce more. And if you produce more, then the, then, you know, the price comes, the, the, the demand side, right? The price comes down. So, um, but instead the solution here to bring the price down isn't, has nothing to do with trying to create more supply. It's changing the composition of the supply to a cheaper material. Now, I'm not good at math, but I think if, if, if you don't fix the supply problem, right, if it's, if it's still less supply than you need and you make the supply, but, but you change the composition so that the materials are cheaper, but you still don't have enough, then what's going to happen to the price of the new cheaper materials? They're going to become more expensive because the problem is with supply and demand and not in the, I mean, it might, it might create a little bit of relief, I don't know, for some short, for some short period of time in those 2,300 gas stations for those unspecified drivers, but it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, and then of course the other, the other things about this are, 
that <laughs> here we are, we're trying to be green and uh, let's put more ethanol into the blend, which, you know, and this is weird too, right? Because ethanol, because it comes from corn, qualifies as a biofuel and somehow it's renewable. Well, it is renewable because you can always grow more corn, except that what do you need to grow more corn? Fertilizer. And <laughs> where does the fertilizer come from? I'll let you work that one out on your own. So uh, anyway, lots of <laughs> lots of things about this whole thing, but uh, that don't make sense. But as we know, um, I, I think that what this th- so this is what they refer to in some circles as optics. And so uh, so when you're hanging out. When you're hanging out this week, well, I don't know, you're going to hear this next week. So anyway, when, you, when you're at your next happy hour and, and people are celebrating that the price of gas is coming down because of the higher ethanol, you can, ex, you can explain, you know, explain this one to them or just, just kind of come have them listen to this episode. And I'd be happy to argue with somebody or somebody to, to put me right on this because like I said, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not exactly, uh, you know, our friend Mark Mills, who's advising Congress on energy policy. Uh, Mark has been on the show, and he's a fantastic guy. But I'm saying, just just looking at it, this is that's how it reads to me. All right, moving along. What was the main thing? The main thing today is oh yes, yes, I've got this article. It's another article. But but this one is this this one is more is more in my wheelhouse as they like to say these days. And uh, as soon as I find it, um, so this one is I read this in World Oil, and um, let's see where is it? Yeah, okay, here it is. Got it right here. This is from last month. Last month being March. Uh, 2022 uh, article in World Oil and um, all right, so I gotta pre- I gotta preface this. Uh, there, so there's something about this article that bugs me, um, and uh, but 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 I know that the people who said it, it meant no harm. But when you hear it, you're gonna say, uh, I see why that bugs him. If you're if you are a faithful listener, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know why this bugs me. And uh, <clears throat> And so the article was written, let's see, it's written by uh, Maddie McCarty, Maddie McCarty, so, uh, who I think, I've, I think I've seen her. I think she's a regular writer for World Oil. Anyway, uh, Maddie, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry if I, if I don't know more of your work, but uh, and, and it's, and the, it's, a, it's a well-written article and it's, it's fantastic and it's about, and it's kind of an interview. It's kind of, it's kind of an interview, interview slash commentary with, uh, with somebody from Cognite. Uh, who we've talked about before on the show, and uh, and of course Cognite does is doing a lot of good things in the industry uh, related to data, and and this uh, this is a kind of an interview with Paula Doyle, who is the senior vice president of energy for Cognite, and and I have to say this too before we go any further. Uh, so before I started recording this show, this episode today. I, I sent Paula a note, um, and I don't know Paula, so she's probably going to see it and and uh, and ignore it. But I did send her a note and say to say, look, I I read your article on World Oil, and I think that uh, I think you guys are doing some great stuff. But there's this one thing that kind of bugs me, and I would love to have you come on the show so so we can talk about it and dig into it a little bit more. And uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe she'll she, she hasn't answered me yet. It was just a few minutes ago that I sent the note. So so uh, st- stay tuned, and we'll see whether Paula comes back and says, "Sure, I'd love to come on the show with you and uh, and talk about that." But um, 
All right, so here's what it is. Now the, now the headline for this article uh, goes like this. Data and knowledge are instrumental to digital transformation, software executive says. Data and knowledge are instrumental to digital transformation. Okay, none of us, there's nothing controversial in that. I think, I think we're all in agreement with that. If you've been listening to the show for anything like the last five minutes, well, not, not, not this exact last five minutes, but if you've been listening, um, then you know that we agree with that. Now, uh, a, a software executive says, so presumably that's Paula who said that. Now, uh, here we go. Um, right under, right under the headline is the subhead and it, and it leads off with this. The oil and gas industry is still a living in the data world as if it were the early 1990s. All right. Now, you know, now, you know, now you know why, why this bugs me because this has been my soap box, soap box. (laughs) This has been my soap box on this show for uh, since I took over from Mark, uh, which has now been something like a year and a half, which is uh, this image that the industry has, uh, or that pe- you know people think of it as being, um, you know, old fashioned and not with the times, and 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 which has led to, uh, you know, of course, uh, that little thing I say at the end of the show. So, um, so when I read this. <laughs> I just, I thought, I thought, Paula, like, could you give a brother a break? Like, I'm out here, I'm trying to get us to stop thinking of the industry as this old fashioned, stuck in some previous decade, many decades ago, uh, sort of industry. And that's, that's what we lead off with this in, in this article. Now, um, the rest of it, and you can go look for it. Like you can find it, you know, it's, it's just from last, last, and it's not one of the ones you got to pay for. So, uh, just from last March and, and she does, she, and by the way, Paula has a spectacular, uh, so I looked into her background and she has a, uh, quite an impressive background in the industry. She's worked for some big names. Uh, uh, she's an engineer, she's a PhD. Um, she's worked in, uh, in, uh, operational, roles, I believe, in, car- in commercial roles. And so, uh, Paula, so Paula, your pedigree in the industry is, is definitely, uh, nothing, nothing shy of, uh, fantastic, but, but I just, I wish we would stop, um, with this, uh, self-inflicted characterization of us as being, and, and even though I know it, it's true, it's, it is, it is, especially, you know, and I know that maybe I might be in a bubble in this show, on this show, because because the people that I have come and talk on the show are the ones who are like on the on the front edge. They're the ones who are doing the great stuff and who are you know ch- changing the world, so to speak. And um, so perhaps it is possible that I kind of get under this uh, not entirely realistic notion that the whole industry has moved ahead to a place. Uh, where it really hasn't moved to, it's just, it's just a few. And then if you go out there and maybe I need to get out, I need to get out and about more. I need to, I, I need to get, I need to get out from behind the microphone and, uh, and get out there and, and see what's going on because, cause I, cause I, I feel like we're, we're doing much like early, early 1990s, like 
like like that's like really twisting the knife like we're still we're still living in the early 1990s because i remember the early 1990s and i it seems like it wasn't it seems like this is different but perhaps not and that's why i would love paula to come on the show because unfortunately in the rest of the article she kind of you know so paula and and maddie maddie's writing it and so i guess it's paula speaking through maddie and and so you you throw it out there you kind of throw that statement out there and you say it a couple of times early in the article it's like we're living in the early 1990s but but you don't really um you don't really give any examples of that uh and i and i understand that wasn't the point of the article the point of the article is to really talk about uh the new things that are being done um which which you do a great job here of going into that and and I, and again like I said I know that uh, Cognite is is doing a lot of great stuff with uh, modernizing data and, and things like that so um, so that's all great but this this lead in uh, of characterizing us like we're still in the early 1990s um, and just saying it and then and it, because because then everybody because then that because then we think that way like what like what you say impacts how you think about things so how, how you describe something uh whether it's accurate or not uh describe it impacts how you think about it and so sometimes even if you describe things accurately you're not really helping the cause uh because i mean not that we should not that we should be uh working under delusions or that we should uh deceive ourselves we need to be honest with where we are but we don't we're not really going to change until we start thinking of ourselves differently. And so instead of thinking, instead of continuously, um, you know, beating ourselves over the head with this, uh, this idea of, of being an old fashioned and we're still stuck in the, in the, in in olden times and, and all of those things that go along with that, right? Instead of like, if we just stop saying that and start talking more about how the industry is so much different now, from how it was in in the 90s or in the 80s. If you look at if if, if you're concerned about safety and you're concerned about uh, you know clean uh, you know the environment and everything, even even without all of the ESG initiatives that have come pouring in in the last couple of years, even without that, the way we operate in the real world today uh, is is very different from how it was in the 80s. Um, even, I'm just picking the '80s, you know, any time in the past. But but if you just go from the the '80s to now, um, it's it, it's very different, and it's because of, in a lot of cases, I mean, partially it's because people wanted it to be different. But what the enabler was technology has been technology has been our use of data has been our use of computing, and so, um, so however messy it may look when you go out there today and you're trying to help people with their digital ambitions and you know you start opening up those closets and peeling back those uh covers and things and you go "Ooh, wow this this looks kind of like it hasn't really been touched lately it hasn't really been rethought it hasn't really been re-architected did you know that there's better ways to do, to do this now um you know sure all of that but but so even though that's true it's i th- i think we still need to focus instead of using that uh we still look like we're like we're back in olden times instead of using that as a foil for um 
for what we're trying to say we ought to be doing now, let's just leave that behind us and let's say, and let's, and let's, and let's build on the momentum, uh, which by the way, and there's been, besides everything that's happened in the last few decades, just in the last few years, since 2017, 2018, um, you know, uh, in 2017, and you've heard me say this before, uh, you know, people were, digital transformation was a buzzword. It was. And, and, and in the article here, they get into that a little bit about, you know, the, the buzzwords, but, but we're past the buzzwords and we're past the, we don't have to explain what a digital twin is to most people in the industry anymore. They, now they may have differing ideas about exactly what qualifies and what doesn't. If you listen to last week's episode with Awesome Wahid over at Technip FMC, who, by the way, is sponsoring the show. Did I mention that? Um, awesome, or awesome, awesome, as some of us like to call him. Uh, he's got a very particular view on what qualifies as a digital twin, and, and yours may not be one. Uh, so listen to that, because that's great. But my point is, let's build on the momentum, and let's start characterizing ourselves as an industry as, as one of innovation and progress. Look at how much we've progressed so far, and by God, we're going to do even more on top of that. And then let's talk about all the more things that we can do. Anyway, that's my, that is, uh, uh, that's my soapbox for today. And, and by the way, Paula, the invitation is out there. I would love to have you come on the show uh, if you'd like to talk about this stuff. And uh, because I know, I know the Cognite, uh, you guys are doing great stuff. And, uh, and we could talk about that too. But, um, but I am going to take you to task on this early 1990s thing because, because that is what we were trying to fight against. And so that is going to wrap it up today, folks. Uh, thanks, as always. Thanks to everybody for listening. The, uh, the uh, As I mentioned before, I, I look at the OGGN download meter and, uh, and, and for all the shows, but, for, but, but this is the one I care the most about. And, uh, and, it's, and it's growing. The audience is growing. So thank you for telling your friends and family and neighbors and, and uh, whoever else it is that uh, you're, you're sharing this with. Hopefully you are doing that. And, uh, and so thanks for, uh, thanks for being a great audience. Thanks to all of our uh, OGGN crew for all of their hard work. Most especially my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who always makes us sound fantastic. And remember, well, I don't even have to do the lead-in this time because, because, the, whole, because the whole show was about this, well, except for that part about the ethanol, but the whole show after that is about this very thing, which is when you hear people getting down about the industry being stuck in olden times that is when and, and you know and it occurred to me there's two different ways that you can do this so if you hear somebody who just doesn't know and 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 they're, and they're talking about the industry in a particular way you can jump in and you can give them that history lesson as i always say and you can explain to them or or when your friends who are in the industry are just feeling down because that's how the rest of the world sees us then you can say it as by way of encouragement. You can say, just remember, we were tech before tech was cool. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. (laughs) 